Welcome. Thanks for coming out this afternoon to hear a little bit about the Dakota Access Pipeline and pipelines in general. I'm Dawn Robel. I teach geography here at Maureen Valley. And joining me on the panel today, uh, former Maureen Valley student Joseph Standing Bear, who is currently president of the Native American organization Midwest Soaring Foundation, and an activist from our community, Jan um, Haffey, who's been out at the Standing Rock camp uh, numerous times since last fall, including right up to the day before they took the camp down uh, this, this month. And so we're gonna be talking about some different aspects of the pipeline this morning. And the format is, we're gonna open so that it's out of the way with the Energy Transfer Partners promo, a little one minute about the pipeline. And then I'm gonna talk a little bit about why I'm here and set this up and about pipelines in general and this one in specific. Uh, then Standing Bear, um, is Joseph Standing Bear is going to talk about the uh, Native American viewpoint and some of the things going on in, uh, one of the terms bandied about with this is environmental racism. My students, if you haven't heard that in my class yet, you will before the end of the semester. And then Jan's going to talk about uh, and show a lot of pictures of what it was like to be in camp and what she encountered there. And then we'll have questions and answers at the end. So we'll each be speaking for maybe 15 or 20 minutes with a half hour for, um, for questions at the end of the program. So thanks for coming out this afternoon. So what you're looking at on the screen behind those words is an oil slick, just so that you know. And I'm gonna talk about a couple of different sides in this, in this discussion. Um, but it's going to be probably pretty clear which side I'm on because I come from an environmental activist standpoint. Uh, and I call this more than Standing Rock because there are a lot of other people impacted by this, but Standing Rock and the camp there really brought it into focus. A lot of the other groups are not being talked about or not getting the media attention, but they're not the only ones who are impacted here. But my other part of this is who cares? Uh, one of the reasons for the timing with this, when we, when we were offered some dates for the program, was that tomorrow is World Water Day. And one of the things that oil pipelines have a particular impact on is water. And so tomorrow is the UN's World Water Day. If you're interested in water issues, there's a global Bless the Water event at 7 p.m. tomorrow, our time. And that is at blessthewater.com and worldwaterday.org is a site for a lot of the other activities going on with respect to water issues. Uh, thousands of people have lived without love, but not one without water, according to Auden. And I saw that quote in the film Flow, and it really stuck with me. And I think all of us should care about our water. Our bodies are 70% water, and we, ca we can't go more than a day or two without water. But I see semester after semester in the student exit essays that students tell me, well, it's the government's responsibility or it's someone else's responsibility. It's not our responsibility to do something about the water. I disagree. I think it is our responsibility. So my background and where I came to this is I have a uh, degree in geography. My education was in primarily in environmental planning uh, with a sp particular emphasis on water. And when I decided to abandon my doctoral program, I wanted to work for Illinois EPA. I did a six-month campaign to get myself hired by the state EPA and finally did exactly where I wanted 
in, the, uh, in public participation, getting the public involved in water issues. But what I learned about that in the course of the six years I spent with the program is that government and participation uh, are kind of mutually exclusive. They only want what the law absolutely requires them to want, and sometimes not even that. And that um, here I am all excited about how many people I can get out to a public meeting or hearing, and then I'm getting written up for getting too many people to public meetings and hearings. So um, I think that may be the case as we see some of the timeline for this event as well, and you wonder why did the Sioux get excluded from the discussion? Because a lot of the discussion never happened in public, and that was a piece of it for this activity. A lot of the discussion that happened in public didn't happen until a good deal of the pipeline was already in the ground. Okay. So uh, participation's kind of, it, it's one of those things that it's in the law, but it's not always addressed. And I grew up at a time, I was a college student at a time when the rivers in Illinois were catching on fire. And if you dipped your hand in the water, it would come up covered in oil. Lake Erie had been declared dead, one of our great lakes. But thanks to the Clean Water Act and a lot of activists pushing for that and trying to promote it in the late 60s and early 70s, uh, today Lake Erie is thriving. By 1990, it had both sport and commercial fishing. So we know that our water can recover. We can fix things. But now we've begun to go backwards again. And our water quality in this country is deteriorating rapidly in some places. And for the Native Americans, they have, on many of their reservations, the worst water in the country, far worse than the people in Flint, Michigan, who got a lot of press last year about their water problems. So if we look at a lot of the reservations, extremely poor water quality. So oil spills, which are the issue here, happen on an almost daily basis. And there are many, many articles from the Wall Street Journal that talk about this. One of the, the, the articles that Jan sent me as we were prepping for this talked about 1,400 spills between 2010 and 2013 in the US. That's more than one spill per day. So oil spills are not something that only happens occasionally. They're ha something that happens all the time. And not, uh, if we look at some of the statistics, this chart is showing you the actual barrels of crude oil spilled per year from the mid-1990s uh, mid to 2015. And it looks like it's declining, so perhaps we have better control or better pipeline safety, but it has not gone away. And you can see it was pretty substantial in the late 1990s. Uh, that's where the, the five years in a row uh, ending in 2000 are all pretty high in terms of the amount of, of barrels of crude oil spilled. Okay. You can go online and find tons of articles about the impact on the Great Lakes, and my personal concern is Lake Michigan because that's where a lot of us get our drinking water. So what will happen in Lake Michigan, which already has a pipeline under it, if that pipeline breaks during bad weather, the Coast Guard will not go out there to put booms to try to contain it. So if we happen to have a pipeline break, and one of the pi oil pipelines under Lake Michigan is 60 years old, it had a 50-year lifespan when it was put in, if that should break or be damaged and begin to leak during bad weather, 
that leak can go on a long time and impact the water for 30 million people before it's contained or cleaned up. So, this, so the idea of an oil spill is not something unique to the Dakota Access Pipeline. We have lots of pipelines here in Illinois, including a pipeline under Lake Michigan. And that's where water for the campus comes from as well. Uh, in terms of pipeline leaks, if you look at a lot of the prop, what, you know, what I call propaganda, so we began with that little promotional film from Energy Transfer Partners. Uh, if you look at a lot of the stuff that they, they have out there, they'll say, well, the pipelines are safe and we have monitoring equipments. But 80% of the leaks are not discovered by the pipeline companies and their automatic sensors. They're discovered by landowners who begin to find oil in their soil or water not by the sensing equipment. So my question in this is, do you want the lake to look like this, or rivers to look like this again? And that's one of the concerns with the pipeline projects. The Dakota Access Pipeline is not limited to the Dakotas. It goes, under, it goes through South Dakota, North Dakota, but also Iowa and Illinois. And then some of that oil is intended to go from Illinois down to Texas in another pipeline that already exists. So it's going to be traveling through many, many bodies of water. And I know Jan's going to talk about some of those. Uh, she's been involved also in some of the activities here in Illinois against the pipeline. So what is the Dakota Access Pipeline? It is a 1,172-mile pipeline from the Bakken oil fields in North Dakota through South Dakota and Iowa to Patuka, Illinois, which you've probably never heard of, but Patuka happens to be in the region of Illinois that I worked in when I, worked for, when I first start, began working for EPA, so I'm very familiar with it. Uh, the construction company is Dakota Access LLC. It's a center, uh, subsidy of Energy Transfer Partners, which is owned by um, Energy Transfer and Sunoco, and major uh, shareholders or stockholders in this include Phillips Oil, Enbridge, and Marathon Petroleum. And I can assure you there are lots of arguments in my family because I have three nephews all working for Enbridge, and my brother works for another oil company. So we have some lively arguments about the industry. Uh, it is a uh, $3.78 billion project. Of that, $189 million is for landowners and land purchases. Loans have come from 17 banks, some of which are now pulling out of the project. Norway had money invested in it. They pulled it out because they have a, uh, Norway only invests in what they consider clean projects, and they backed out of this particular one. Uh, it, it will have a permanent easement 50 feet wide throughout that 1,172-mile length, and the construction right-of-way is 150 feet. It is a 30-inch pipe with a min uh, minimum of four feet underground, two feet below any drainage tiles. So farmers have drainage tiles in their field. If it goes through a farm field, it has to be at least two feet under any drainage tiles that are there. And it will go 90 feet under the Missouri River uh, using a boring process rather than digging to get it in. And also 90 feet under Lake um, Oahe, which is the lake created by the Army Corps of Engineers uh, in the 60s. And that particular lake um, serves as a, a drinking water supply as well. It already has a natural gas pipeline going under it that's been there for uh, since the 1980s. And this will parallel that but go deeper. 
but the issue is that uh, that particular lake and four other ones forced the relocation of a lot of the Sioux and other Native Americans in the reservation there when that was created. And now we're talking about another issue that could potentially impact their water supply. Even though the pipeline is 500 feet away from the current reservation boundary, it still has the potential to impact their water supply. And there are some additional factors of it going through, and in Iowa in particular, burial sites and sites of cultural significance in the Big Sioux Wildlife Refuge area there. So some other things are, are an issue as well. And the early proposal was that this go northeast of Bismarck, uh, that the, but that route would be 11 miles longer, and it was rejected because it was a threat to the water supply for Bismarck. Well, what about the water supply for everyone else whose rivers and streams and lakes this is going to cross? And um, I want to bring this up because there are uh, two more pipeline legs from this proposed that would go across Minnesota and Wisconsin and disrupt more of the lakes and other issues there, uh, or could disrupt them. And so this is where Jesse Jackson said, this is environmental racism. We're skirting around the bigger city, but we're p potentially putting, uh, could cause harm to the drinking water supply and the, the agricultural water supplies for a lot of people. Um, so what this does is it, it um, does parallel the northern border pipeline, which is a natural gas pipeline. The difference here in law, in case I forget to mention it later, is that um, crude oil is not considered a finished product. Natural gas is considered a finished product, and so is water that has been treated as drinking water. And so when we look at the right to put pipelines on private land, if it is a finished good, then generally governments can use eminent domain for a right-of-way but not for a raw product. And crude oil is a raw material, not a finished good. And so that's one of the, the additional issues with this as we move forward and look at who's, um, who's involved. So you saw the little promotional video. Uh, this was said to provide 40 permanent jobs. Well, 40 permanent jobs across four states is not a lot. 10 jobs per state. Uh, 8,000 to 12,000 temporary construction jobs but a lot of those construction workers who've been working on this were brought in from other areas because they're specialists in pipeline construction. So they're not necessarily local labor. Do they add to the local uh, prosperity? Yes, because those people, while they're housed and working in an area, are gonna spend money. They'll be in motels, they'll be eating food there, uh, they'll be spending money on entertainment, so it does help the local economies, but only temporarily. And another thing for that little uh, promo is that uh, ETP says that this, the pipeline is more reliable than rail or road. The issue, though, is that if a pipeline breaks, the potential for disaster is much greater than if a rail car leaks or goes off the track or one truck overturns. It's a lot different if you have a 30-inch pipe with millions of barrels of oil flowing in it, and it takes a while to stem a leak. So we have a number of stakeholders in this. Uh, first is Energy Transfer Partner and their shareholders, which include those 17 banks. And one of those is Wells Fargo. And what Wells Fargo is finding now is that people are beginning to pull their money out because they don't want Wells Fargo to finance this project. So notable, 
uh, entities that pulled their money out of Wells Fargo Bank are the city of Seattle and the city of Davis, California. So we're not talking uh, just about individuals who disagree with the bank, but large municipal entities that had millions of dollars sitting in that bank. In addition, I think all of us um, who use oil and products made from oil are a piece of this because I know uh, I drive 21 miles to campus and 21 miles home. I use almost two gallons of gas to do that. Not quite, but almost. And so I'm a, an energy consumer. Am I happy that gas is at 220 a gallon instead of the $4 it was a couple of years ago? Yes, but the unfortunate part of that is that it's at the expense of the environment in many, in many ways. But all of us, if we're using products made from oil, uh, like plastics, uh, and driving a car or riding in a bus that uses oil, we, we are also stakeholders in this. All of the states crossed by the pipeline are stakeholders, and I'll talk a little bit more specifically about two of them. Um, the Standing Rock Reservation residents are certainly stakeholders. This goes within 500 feet of their reservation and through their water supply. Uh, anyone who uses water from any of the waterways crossed by DAPL are stakeholders. So that includes people that live or get water from, uh, live along or get water from the Missouri and Mississippi rivers. Uh, landowners who lost land through eminent domain for DAPL, and that's um, not exclusively, but primarily in Iowa. And there are, um, one attorney alone is handling 15 lawsuits in Iowa. Normally, a, a raw material can't, uh, something that transports raw material can't be used for eminent domain. For those of you who don't know, eminent domain is when the government, for public purposes, uh, buys your land or part of your land. It can be a very painful process. I went through it myself because I lost my land for the new South Suburban Airport. And it was a lengthy and very um, emotionally draining process. A lot of the farmers whose land this crossed did not want to grant the right of way, uh, but they were forced to. I have next on here farm bureaus. The Farm Bureau, you might not think about it here in the urban area, but it is a tremendously powerful lobby in states with large agriculture like Illinois and Iowa and the Dakotas. And it was the Farm Bureau that came out in tremendous numbers during the Clean Water Act uh, hearings and the, the uh, hearings on proposals for the Clean Water Program in Illinois. They were probably the biggest contributor to bodies at all of the public meetings and hearings here. It is a very powerful lobby. So they have a, um, although some farmers as individuals did not want it crossing their land, the Farm Bureau position looked at this a little differently and if you look at some of what they, um, uh, some of the material from their conferences over the last couple of years, they look at pipeline capacity as freeing up rail capacity to carry seeds, uh, grain after it's harvested, fertilizer, pesticides, and other things. So if the rail cars are not being tied up with oil, they can be used for agricultural purposes and we can do uh, faster and better movement of agricultural goods in the country. So that's perhaps an area that people haven't thought about. And even universities in the states crossed by the pipeline are stakeholders here because a lot of them got very cushy research grants to do research, like Iowa State which got this multi-million dollar grant to study soil compaction and, and crop production due to the p 
pipeline construction where it crossed their property, it crossed two acres of their property. That is smaller than my home lot and maybe enough for a commercial garden, certainly not enough for commercial agriculture on any large scale, but they got multi-millions of dollars for a five-year study on that little tiny two-acre parcel. You know, maybe something like the size of the entire library here. So universities there also got grants from ETP to try to smooth feathers and pave the way for this. Uh, but the pipeline threat, you know, I mentioned it th threatens sacral burial grounds. Uh, it's another example of broken treaties with the Native Americans. It goes under lots of water supplies, not just theirs. And so potentially um, lots of issues with it. The states, if we look at two of them, for example, North Dakota, uh, it was estimated that they'd gained $110 million a year in revenue. So the $33 million they claim they spent on Standing Rock, uh, the protest, that's a pretty good investment if you're going to be getting $110 million a year. $33 million is not a big investment for that kind of return on a, if they're going to keep getting that return year after year. And even in Iowa, uh, there was a $1.35 billion capital investment there uh, that's going to generate $33 million in sales tax during construction and $30 million a year in property taxes. The alternatives to this pipeline would be rail, which is so far the, the primary way that um, oil from the fracking in the back and oil field is getting to Illinois, mostly by rail. We have three to four rail shipments into northern Illinois per day from that oil field. But rail transport has a significantly lower spill volume per billion ton miles, um, even though it costs more than, than pipeline transportation. It's much safer. Motor freight on trucks has lower spill volumes per bil billion ton miles, even lower than rail, but costs more than um, uh, but costs more than both rail and pipeline because you can you can't haul as much per truck as you can uh, send through the pipeline. So I have public participation here with a question mark, and I want to talk about this in terms of the project timeline. So this project was announced to the public in June of 2014, and by November 26th of 2016, 87% of the pipeline was completed. So I, want, I would like to know how so much of it was completed when they did not begin informational hearings for landowners until August of 2014. Uh, they didn't, s in March and April of uh, 2015 was when the EPA, the Historic Preservation Project, uh, and the Interior Department all asked for a formal environmental impact statement. If you look at the, the website from ETP on this, they'll say they have thousands of permits. They do. One of the interesting things is if you permit a pipeline a mile at a time or across a couple of landowners at a time, you circumvent the need for a lot of environmental impact statements. If they had gone for a permit on the entire length of the pipeline, they wouldn't be off the ground yet because they'd still be doing an environmental impact statement. So yes, they have thousands of permits, but w the other side of that permit issue is often if you have a permit for a short section of pipeline, you do not need the same kind of environmental impact study you do for a longer one. Uh, July of 2016 is when the Respect Our Water um, Native American group petitioned the Army Corps of Engineers. So USACE is the Army Corps of Engineers. 
uh, for an injunction at Standing Rock against the pipeline construction. Uh, by November, they announced that 87% of the project was complete, and that's when things had really heated up. Uh, and there were a lot more protesters out at Standing Rock trying to stop uh, the permits for the last part of it under their water. And the original delivery date for this project was January 1st of 2017. So I think this is a really fast timeline. I've worked in government um, with permitting. And if you're not announcing something to the public till 2014, it's going to be complete by 2017 and cover this amount of ground. A lot happened be before they even announced the project in 2014. And a lot of what had to happen for this went on before there was any public announcement. So ETP boasts hundreds of public meetings and thousands of study documents, but a lot of that has happened after construction already started. And so a little bit more of this with information meetings versus that, that uh, permitting. Uh, September was the first of 2014 was the first meeting with Standing Rock uh, with the Tribal Council, the first meetings in um, South Dakota, and the affected Iowa counties didn't happen until December of that year. The first ones in Illinois were done as a webinar, not even in person. They were done as a webinar in February of 2015. Um, the Iowa Utilities Board didn't hear public testimony until November of 2015, yet the pipeline is almost complete through Iowa already a year later. And so they had one day that they allowed for public testimony, more than 270 feet people signed up to testify, not counting the people who submitted um, testimony uh, or attended just to hear the testimony. Uh, in January of 2016, um, the Dakota Access uh, filed their first uh, condemnation suits in North Dakota, condemning land that they couldn't get um, by uh, willing sellers. And then uh, May of 2016, Oh, excuse me, March of 2016 was when Iowa's utility board approved the pipeline. Now, it's mostly complete through Iowa, and it didn't get approved by their utility board till 2016. I wonder how that happened. You know, a lot of things had to be in place for the construction to happen that rapidly. And so May of 2016 was when the Iowa uh, farmers began filing lawsuits over the taking of their property by eminent domain for the pipeline right away. And it was March of 2016 when the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service first, um, under the Sovereign Lands Permit Program, uh, first uh, began looking at and asking for revocation of the permitting that crossed the Sioux, uh, the Sioux Tribal Area and Big Sioux River and the Big Sioux Wildlife uh, Management Area that they controlled. But by September of 2016, the U.S. Department of Justice had received 33,000 petitions asking to review all the permits in order of full EIS. So that happened in September of 2016, and here we, here we see the number. By November, 87% of this pipeline is done. How does that happen? So this really began, fall of last year really began the Standing Rock movement and all the people there, and they've gotten a lot of attention, but they're not the only ones impacted. There's a potential for all of us to be impacted. There were a lot of people impacted by the eminent domain takings. Not everyone was a willing seller to the pipeline company. 
And so I'm going to ask you, as you hear the other two presenters this morning, to think about your relationship with water and what you are willing to preserve to ensure your access to clean water. Uh, to what ends are you willing to go? And it, you may not be the, someone who can go out there and protest, but you can certainly share about the issue with other people, as I've chosen to do. And so now I'd like to introduce our next speaker, Joseph Standing Bear. Good morning. I'd like to say a few things about uh, some of my experience. I've worked in 33 states, uh, Alaska, Hawaii, uh, Central America, so I have a little experience with seeing some things that most you wouldn't see. Um, my first experience with the camp uh, going top of the ridge uh, was some miles away. There was a roadblock over there, and they had uh, people that had face masks, military, uh, you didn't know which branch they were, who they were, but they stopped you. Now, this is on a public highway. Uh, when I got to camp first time, I was Im impressed with the, the size of it. Uh, I've never seen so many teepees and lodges in one particular place. Uh, the unity of community was amazing. Now, one of the things I noted first looking at it uh, was that uh, many of the people there were not prepared for the winter. Now, when I was there the first time it was October, and the weather was kind of cold, but it wasn't bad. And uh, many of them unknowingly uh, didn't uh, pack up the way they should. Tents weren't prepared correctly. Uh, they were in the floodplain. Most of them were camped out in the floodplain, which proved to be later on when it flooded uh, to be kind of a poor thing. But I will, I will say this, that our people uh, are not protesters, water protectors. Water is sacred. L water is life-giving. Um, some of the things that uh, happened there, I'm going to tell you tell you about, and some of them aren't so nice, you know. So if you're, you know, not prepared for that, then it's a good time to leave. The um, the people that uh, were in the main front were the women at first, and our people were heavily armed with prayers and drums, prayers and drums, and there was a line of attack dogs, and uh, these uh, attack dogs had handlers that had mace. And they were macing people. Uh, these uh, dogs were set on women that were pregnant. Uh, one woman had her breast that was chewed. Uh, later on that evening, she, she showed the crowd what, it, what that dog had done to her. Uh, it was an amazing speech, and it touched my heart. Uh, really hard to see that. The things that uh, were done uh, was all these roadblocks, you know, which uh, I think in a in a supposedly a free country, I was amazed to see that, you know. Uh, later on in the conflict, um, uh, the amount of military-type people that were uh, always watching, there was a plane that was always flying across. Uh, the media was very scarce to be seen there, and that was kind of an amazing thing with an issue that was big. Uh, they were saying we only had a few hundred people. There were at least five or 6,000 people when I was there, five or 6,000 people. And these are not only Native people, but also non-Native people and environmentalists. Um, you know, I was, I was thinking of uh, many things I've seen there. One of the things that they did, uh, which was appalling, was during the colder time of the year. Now imagine if you're out camping and there's no place to get warm, and all of a sudden you get hosed down where you're dripping wet you know, it was 20 below zero. Where do you go? That's not only uh, unjust, that's inhumane. 
uh, you're not going to go in your tent and warm up because you're soaked to the bone. You know, I would, uh, I would, I'd like to say to any one of you, would you go outside and get hosed down and uh, w how you would react to that, you know, how w what that would do to your health, you know, and uh, our people experience that many times. Uh, I think one week alone there was $160,000 of bail bond money uh, that uh, we were constantly bailing people out. Um, what was amazing, though, was the amount of cooperation between people and native tribes. There was a uh, road that was going through the main, main part of camp there, and every 15 foot there was a flagpole. And the many, many tribes that had not been together ever uh, had joined on this issue as one solid uh, unity. And uh, you could see all different nations that are flags flying there. It was very touching to my heart to see that. Um, you know, there were military vehicles out there. At one point, there were three tanks. Now, I'm wondering why three tanks were sent against people that had prayers and drums. And that's not to mention the half-tracks, you know, and everything else that was out that way. Uh, as I said before, they were actually shooting down the drones that were uh, trying to catch what they were doing. <coughs> there was, uh, it was a living camp that, uh, there was a baby that was born there. There was little dogs and kids that were running around, and people laughing. Uh, a regular living camp of people that joined in unity. Now, unless you've ever experienced that, it's kind of hard to talk about that. You know, and I'm speaking from my heart what I've seen there. You know, it's, uh, you'd have to really experience that. Um, later on, when the camp was going to be surrounded, uh, the veterans came out and they surrounded the camp, our, our Native veterans and United States veterans, to protect the people. And that was also a very special time uh, to see and feel that. Um, a lot of times when people were arrested, you know, instead of bringing them back to camp, and they might put you five miles away, maybe 20 miles away, uh, they had a holding tension. There were so many people that they were strip searching you. And they had these dog kennels. And they would put you in a dog kennel without any clothes on. Now, this isn't summertime. This is when it's cold out. And again, how many of you would want to experience that or your children in America? You know, uh, I'm not... Um, not pleased with what I've seen there. Uh, I, I'd be hard expressed to feel my, uh, my true <laughs> feelings without being angry. Um, I think what this country needs is not necessarily Republicans or Democrats. It needs human beings to run this country in an appropriate way for all people, of the people, by the people, for the people. And that is not happening. You know, what you can do to one nation, one color, you're going to do to all people at one time. And I really urge you guys that if you are in any way interested in the direction of this country, not to be quiet. You have three options. You can be a part of something to protect it. You can sit in a rocking chair and pretend you don't see it. Or you can be part of the destruction. And in my opinion, if you're in a rocking chair, you're part of the problem. I've been an activist for over 50 years of my life, and I've seen many, many people sacrifice and do many things that most of you wouldn't be prepared to do. You know, and um, you know, for the sake of yourself and your family, most of you are young out there, you're going to have kids. 
how do you want your kids to grow up in a country that's free for everybody or to experience these kind of ecological and social disasters that are currently happening? You know, I, I just cannot say enough of what I see happening. Uh, reminds me a lot of, you know, this may sound kind of harsh to say that, but the early Germany, you know, when the Nazis were taken over, some of the things that they did are exactly what's happening here, exactly. You know, the no free speech zones, uh, things like that. I mean, I have five of my relatives serving in the armed forces. They did not fight for corporate interests. They fought for this country's freedom. You know, and uh, I strongly urge you to think about what you see and not to be in a rocking chair and lull yourself in stupidity because that's what's going to happen to you. You know, your rights are being slowly eroded and taken away. You know, that land that that pipeline was put on, actually, uh, Army Corps land never really had the authorization to put that. That's still a native land. You know, and that water table that Don was talking about 500 foot away, you know, uh, that water table, uh, it goes for many, many, many miles. So once that's polluted, uh, we have a big problem. Now, Don mentioned about the Great Lakes and pipeline there. Now, many of you may not know, but under the Great Lakes is one of the largest potential fracking basins in the, in the world. Now, if they start fracking in Lake Michigan and they pollute that water, uh, what do you imagine is going to happen to the cost of water for those who are able to attain it? Uh, many of you probably are not aware of a lot of bottling companies are actually buying up the springs. Now, they know what's coming in the future. Now, if I was to tell my grandfather many years ago, granddad, I'm going to spend a, a dollar for a bottle of water, he would have laughed at me. That dollar is nothing to what's going to be in five, ten years from now. It's cheap right now, you know. And I'm just trying to raise you guys and your spirits up before you do things that you don't realize can't be undone. You know, hu uh, humanity and cultural aspects are really important. Those burial uh, that our people have are sacred places. You know, those remains uh, were never meant to be disturbed, you know, and don't have to be, you know, and that's what the disregard for this country currently has for not only Native people, but all the uh, countries around the world that are experiencing similar things, you know, that we've been a part of uh, covertly uh, taking resources away from Native people, you know, and uh, I'm watching what I'm saying, but, you know, be concerned, people. I'm telling you, be concerned. Um, you know, this, this water is sacred to all of us. We need that to live. It's got to be pure. It's got to be clean. You know, and I urge you strongly, you know, to really give a thought to what you're doing. What, what is your part in, in preserving that? You know, are you just drinking water every day? Are you, are you talking to somebody about it? Are you being involved in something? Is it funny to you? you think it doesn't concern you? Well, there's not a one of us here in this room or in this country that's not going to be concerned with it. You know, it's just a matter of time. And as sure as I'm here telling you this, it's a matter of time. And you're going to see such changes happen, you're going to wonder how that happened. And that happened because of the, of the rock and chair people that didn't take a stand. You know, I've done that for 50 years of my life, taking a stand. You know, I came here today because I really wanted to tell you how serious it is. You know, the fact that the media did not cover, for the most part, an issue this big is amazing. You know, uh, uh, the media has kind of an unspoken thing on native issues. It does not cover most of our concerns. 
when the Columbine incident happened and all those kids were killed with that shooting, uh, that was on the news for, for months. A similar thing happened up on our reservation and more kids that were killed a couple of days and that was it and it was gone, you know. Uh, the poverty and disparity that we're experiencing is not in some third world country, it's here. It's here right today and now. People that are starving, the people that are freezing to death, you know, it's that somehow that doesn't get covered. Somehow we've become uh, immune to uh, tragedy of other people. And I think part of that problem is, you know, all of us, you know, with these stupid cell phones and watching all the technology that we do, we're becoming uh, immune to human tragedy. You know, all, some of us may have different faiths and different colors and different ages, but we're all human beings. And sometimes we forget to remember that, you know. Uh, we want to make a difference between people. And the more we make a difference between people, the harder it's going to be for us to live as any people. You know, we need to not do build bridges and walls and uh, things around countries. You know, and building that wall down south, do uh, you really think that's going to be any kind of solution for anybody? You know, what happens next year? Well, we're going to build around these people and a wall around these people. What does that wall build and stop at? You know, and it starts when we say it's okay, when we stop uh, protesting what's right in this world. Um, I can't say that enough, guys. I mean, you know, you are the solution. You just don't know it, you know, because you're involved in your daily living of trying to be young, young people and do what you're doing. But the power lies in the people. And the moment it doesn't, this country's lost. You know, I strongly urge you not only to protect the water, but protect the air, protect yourselves, you know. Um, you know, I've, I've told our young people, sometimes we get pretty angry at stuff. And I always tell them, you know what? The power of the fist does not exceed the power of the heart. When you stop using your heart to think and only rely on this, you're going to lose every time. Now, I see that uh, there's a big military planned up that we're going to expand the military. Um, you think we honestly need more military? There's already enough atomic bombs to blow up the world seven times or over. I mean, why do we need more military? You know, and I had the keenest respect our troops to put their lives on, on the, you know, and their families, what they experience, and our veterans. You know, I really appreciate what they do to protect this country. You know, and uh, not that I'm not anti-troop, I'm not, I'm not anti them at all. You know, but I am a patriot of this country, of my people. You know, of all of you. You know, and uh, maybe I've said too much today, but that's what I'm feeling in my heart. You know, that we need to stand together as people to defend what we have while we still have to defend. Absolute power, I'm sure many of you heard that many, many times before. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Never forget those words. You know, I've seen that happen many times. You know, when the public officials refuse to listen to you, and I had, I had a laugh, uh, Trump says that he, you know, he, he has no complaints about the Trump, uh, about the uh, uh, oil line going through. What we didn't mention was that he dropped a presidential phone line, so there's nobody can call. So that's why he has no complaints on there, you know. And I think to be that arrogant to think that people, you know, think that's funny. There's something wrong with that when the president doesn't want to hear what the people are thinking. Um, that's the problem with that. You know, this water that we're talking about is a very precious thing, you know. And uh, as Don was saying with the earlier with the Great Lakes being oil slicks.
At one time, they were, they were in pretty bad shape. But it took many, many people, decades, to begin to make a change on that. Decades. You know, and, and I, I want to be boring to you, but, uh, you know, there is no more important thing than life and water. And if you don't have that, you know what? We don't have nothing. You know, so, well, rather than say anything more, I'm going to stop at that. But uh, just to know that, uh, you know, what we do today impacts tomorrow. And I urge you strongly to get involved in any way that you can, you know. I'm really, really happy to see all you guys because I love the youth. You guys are going to do this. That's what I loved out there when I went there. There's so many youth. This whole thing started with youth, and this is where it's going to end up with you guys. Um, no matter what, I agree with absolute everything that they said. And no matter what religion, what body you got, what your beliefs are, what label you take, there's one thing we all need, and that's water. <coughs> and that's what's going to get us all together, because we also got a spirit that's all, we're all related. So uh, I was taught. I got into this because I studied with the Lakota medicine man for years in South Dakota. And I was taught by medicine men that everything happens for a reason. You meet everybody for a reason. You, are <coughs> you came to Dawn's class and you came to whoever sent you here for a reason. And what I found after going to Standing Rock is it's usually not why you thought you were there. So maybe you came here to get extra credit, or maybe you're just hanging out to be, you know, calm, or say you went to a water protector thing. I don't know, but I know the spirit of Standing Rock is hitting all of you right now. And I hope you all end up as water protectors when you walk out of here, because we need you guys. You, you know, you guys are the one that can do this. My age, if I talk to this group, I probably wouldn't show, show up. Oh, yeah, yeah, I got to do my stock. Yeah, forget about it. <laughs> so anyhow, it's, it's not what you think. Water is life, and you need to start questioning everything. I'm 64 years old. I had no idea when I started this. I was not into climate. I was not into anything except Native American, and I learned a lot from Native American. This goes back to everybody needs water, okay? These are my little animals. I know everybody on Facebook loves to see pictures of animals, so I thought you guys might be a little entertained seeing my little bear and gunner who need water to live. And they're counting on us because they don't have a voice, nor do your children, nor does the grass and the flowers and the plants that you grow. So because I went with him, I found on Facebook that the North Dakota was asking for help because they were uh, going through burial ground and an oil pipeline was gonna go in. So I got a hold of my red-haired cousin and we stuck out like a sore thumb there. I, that's one good thing when I made camp, I could always tell where we were because I could see her red hair shining. <laughs> but uh, we went to camp the first time and I wanted to report, by then I created a Spotlight Native American and I wanted to report back to my Facebook. I wanted to see for myself what was happening. So I went there, 1806 was still open. The 
first time I went in there, me and my cousin, there's National Guard and there's, you know, sheriff. And I'm like, please don't shoot them like you did at Kent State. You know, we don't need that. Oh, no, ma'am, they were nice. But the sheriff followed us in and my cousin said, they're getting your license plate. And I'm thinking, well, I'm clean, I don't care. You know, I don't do nothing, let them get my license plate. What I didn't realize is they hacked my internet on the day I left that camp. It took me months to figure out, and if any of y'all want to see what they put in there, it wasn't nice. So it I could not, I could not uh, report back. They were scrambling the, and I, wa I go in there, and there's drumming, and that's one picture. It was a lot bigger than that. The flag road, oh, I gotta go back. The flag road that, uh, that he mentioned was that right here. That's the only sign. I was never good at camping. How I didn't get killed in this camp going three times is beyond me because that's the only signpost there was. You had to like figure out a teepee. Sometimes you're in snow up to here and it's freezing and you have nowhere warm to go in. You know, I, my fingers were freezing. I didn't even know enough to take off my gloves. Somebody had to teach me, take off your gloves and warm them. Don't warm them with your gloves on. I was like, oh, I'm really clueless. I don't know, God's gonna, gonna save me, I guess. But going in there was utopian. It was everybody in that camp, they checked you, they smudged you, they checked for alcohol contraband, you were not to bring anybody, everybody was smiling, they came right and helped you set up camp. It was beautiful. Those guys, not so much. There was, that guy right there is Dapple Security. That guy right there was seen ordering in one of the actions, a Morton County cop to pull them, a medic out of the car and they arrested them. It was very bad. I finally got a hold of Vets for Peace and said, my dad was a sailor and he never ever went to fight so we could be accosted like this and they joined us later. I'm not gonna say I'm the reason, but you know, among a lot of people. Also, I wanna tell you that the only place we could get data out was from uh, Facebook Hill and you might be able to make a phone call. My data went around so they charged me for data, but it was scrambled. And um, what was I going to say about this? So yeah, everybody was helping us. You couldn't even hardly get stuff out on Facebook. My grandkids are not listening to me. I got a 15 and a 12 year old, and they ain't listening because it's not on TV. The teachers aren't talking about it. Oh, they let them for the Cubs. They watch the Cubs, right? <laughs> but I said, what happened with Dapple? Yeah, there ain't no Dapple, Grandma. So thank God Daryl from, from uh, Walking Dead got involved. Guys from Teen Wolf got involved. Shailene Woodley got involved. Uh, Democracy Now! Amy Goodman, she got arrested. So did Shailene. We could go to the next one. Um, there, when you, there was a kitchen there. It was beautiful. When I came back, I was really fired up because now I found out about pipelines. I've seen extreme aggressiveness towards the people out there. They eventually had a big action that he was talking about where they shot the water protectors with water cannons, with rubber bullets. One lady, I think she lost her eye, right, Susie? And another one is uh, 20 years old. She's lucky if she keeps her arm. Because a, a rubber bullet, to my understanding, is a regular bullet that's covered with rubber, and they're frozen out there. So they were maced. I came upon a lot of stuff. This is a good one. All we have to do is stand up. All we have to do is say, we're not playing it your way anymore. And that's it. There's enough of this. 
Joan Baez, Neil Young, DiCaprio. Did you guys hear about that? that you probably haven't even heard about this because half of Orland Park hasn't heard about it, which is why I figured out I have a uh, place right on my garage that I could tell people, and I always kept a sign up there, oil in your water, they're killing people out South Dakota. Yeah, they had a lot of horses out there. The only way that I could tell the second time I went in was that we camped down from the Spirit Riders, which were a bunch of uh, riders from North Dakota and the Crow Nation and different, you know, Lakota people. They loved those horses, and they were camped down by us. And that, that was going on all the time. You could hear a helicopter. You could hear a helicopter all the time. It's to the point where I didn't spend that much time. I went there four times. When I hear a helicopter now, I kind of freak out. You know, it's just like from being observed. I can't watch like Arrival where you see all those fences and the barbed wire and all that stuff because it brings me right back to Standing Rock. You know, when I look at milk and magnesia, I'm a nurse. It has nothing to do with your bowels. It's what you put on your face for mace. So it changes you. Um, one point I was going to say on uh, Facebook, they found out Morton County was checking to see who was checked in on Facebook. They were doing that for the water protectors. Over a million of us globally. People are involved in this globally. Checked in. So we were all checked into Standing Rock. There's some of the bad conditions. It was always either pretty much raining and muddy or it was snowy. And I mean, I've been in Chicago weather forever and I never experienced uh, snow like that. The second time that I went there, this is the time the vets went. But the second time I went there, I had the number to be arrested. I'm ready to be arrested. My first time in my life, I always tried to avoid that in my life. But I was like, okay, I'll do it for Standing Rock. And they said, make a hole. That's what they say when people are coming in. And here comes Mark Ruffalo and Jesse Jackson. And they did a little talk. And I touched their palms, so my grandkids now, I could say, I touched Ruffalo, now you have to listen to me. So that was the good of that. But this is, again, Flag Road. We'll go back to that. Um, this, no, this oh, okay. is fine. This is uh, what it looked like out there. They were uh, Turtle Island. You'll see later, they were armed up there. They put big, bright lights. See, who's the thugs? These guys are prayerful. There was no guns out there. There never was anything. And that's Morton County. Each time I'd go home, I'd do more study. I'd look up pipelines. You guys are in school, so maybe you know, but one great thing I became aware of was Flip It. You guys know about that? It's a free app, and it pulls all the, all the things on whatever you're concerned, oil, whatever, and it pulled all those things. So I found out everything about pipelines, I found out a lot of stuff that really helped me, and I try to bring that out. I've been to actions and different things like that, Put the, you know, just to increase awareness, and you guys are going to be the one that does it. Um, the more that they increased the violence, the more people poured into camp. And there was all kind of people. I sat next to, I, camp next to a, uh, a Mormon person. There was black people for Bernie. There was, you know, uni Unity uh, 
ministers. There was just all kinds of people out there. A group from Chicago came in. I think they were scared to even get off the bus. They were looking around like, yeah, this don't look like nothing I know. It was bad. It was bad weather, but the people were welcoming, and it was a it was a great experience. They say, oh, there was garbage out there. You know, I've never seen such a clean place in my life. I don't know how that group, they didn't expect to get, we eventually, I think they thought 10,000 people during this time when the vets came. Uh, estimated 4,000 vets came to hold the front line so DAPA wouldn't get, be, uh, get crazy with us. This was a good story because, it, you know, some little guy put that little, you see that orange tent? He put that up and he, he put hay around there thinking he's going to have a nice warm place to go to and I went down there and the horses were eating it. So I'm like, what are you doing? But it, it, was, it was very interesting and this time was, that's a picture they snapped of me, thank God you can't tell who I was. You had to wear, and the time when the vets marched, that night there was like a blizzard. And you had to wear something like that. Or you, I mean, you couldn't last out there. And now there's no roads. There's no road markings. You're stepping in snow. That's what it looked like out our where we stayed. And there was that's the first time being out there that I've ever been somewhere I couldn't go in somewhere and warm up, you know. But they were wonderful. And this is just like you're putting what in my water? My grandkids put all kind of weird stuff from Snapchat. You guys use Snapchat. <laughs> That's Turtle Island, and there is, you can see the forces on top of or Turtle Island. Now at night they would put such bright lights. One time I really thought I was gonna die and I was gonna be crinkled up like that one guy at Wounded Knee that was frozen and dead because it was so bad and I thought the road ended. I couldn't see the road ending. I mean, you know, and I'm going the wrong way. It was, it was a treat. But there is also a uh, prophecy about Turtle Island, correct? A number of them you guys can look up because like the seventh generation and the rainbow people, if you look up Black Elk and some of this stuff, you're all welcome to join my website, anybody that wants to know anything. Um, we can leave that with you because I have a lot of people on there and a lot of uh, information about oils and pipelines and, and there's stuff around here going on that you can get involved in. Um, they played, that's the lights. They don't look too bad there, but they were horrible. They claimed then uh, the day the bets stood, we th people were like celebrating. There was probably 10,000 people. These are just pictures of the different people that put out flags and stuff. And then Obama said they had to have an environmental statement and pretty much we had dealt with it for a long time, so we didn't believe it. Some people put up fireworks, but when Trump got in, we knew he'd probably get in, and so that's the end of that. And he said, just dig, do it. Um, again, that's just some of the, uh, the camp there. I just want to tell you that um, we can go to the people that I met on there. You can kind of get an idea. To get an idea, there was thousands and thousands of people camped out, and it was an awesome thing. These are two of my heroes. Dewey is an uh, instructor, and he's an indigenous guy, and he'd run a drone out there. And a lot of this uh, publicity, which was never covered by media. Still, I haven't seen it on 275 or 9. I quit watching that crap. 
And that's LaDonna. She owns Sacred Stones, and she's one that first put the call out. She's an awesome woman. So I met my heroes, but all, and these are just what they look like. You guys won't believe it. Do you believe that's in our country? I mean, do, would you even believe going out there and seeing this? And I'll tell you, I came back and I asked the police and the fire, if somebody told you, if somebody told you to uh, come after me because they want to put a pipeline in my, in my city, what would you do? And they said, ma'am, we have to follow orders. I said, well, what if it's your family? Well, we'd have to think about that. I said, well, then you better start thinking because it's coming. You know, this is ridiculous. Everybody, oh, I'm following orders. I'm here to tell you, don't follow no more orders. <laughs> um, so the things that I learned, I kind of tried to put down. My real heroes were the people that I met at the frontline camp that they demolished. They're the young people that came out there and fought and stayed. It was not fun staying out there. You know, they probably all came back with PTSD. They accepted all of us with open arms. Um, those guys are really my heroes. But I realized then that media is corporate owned. You know, Kardashian was the top news when I was out there. Nothing about Davo. Kardashian got robbed, remember that? Supposedly. Also that the police were militarized and they were, um, they were just following orders and Dapple was telling them what to do. And these are seven like sacred aspects, Lakota value that I just took a picture of out at Sacred Stones. We were there two days before they evicted everybody. And um, okay, climate change is real and it's very alarming if you guys start looking at it. I just thought sometime that, that Gore was lying. I don't know where I got that idea and I started looking now, it's really not good. You know, we really have to stop this carbon footprint. Um, we've been prepped for years by Nestle's who has 600 I, uh, products. If you look, when I was growing up, the Senate, they all drink by a pitcher of water, and now you look at them, they all got bottled water. They want you to buy a bottled water, and she'll tell you all about bottled water later. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> um, corporation rules this country. The most important thing is indigenous are keepers of our earth. And they've known from birth what I just learned a lot of it at Standing Rock. And I'm very grateful to them for standing up and doing that in a very pitiful situation. The last thing is the power of prayer and unity is very awesome. We can do a lot if we just stand up and we stay together and we stay peaceful because once we get violent, you lose. So, and the lastly, you know, people think, oh, you, you lost because they put oil in there. Well, we didn't lose. We're bringing the spirit of Standing Rock everywhere. LaDonna's talking in Chicago today. We're spreading it everywhere, and everybody's going to catch this and protect the water and the earth. So just like death is the end of one dimension and the start of another, the death of Standing Rock per se is the beginning of a global movement. So we have to look at it in unconventional terms. And I really thank you, and I thank your teacher and everybody for your time. Thank you. And we have time for questions, and there's a mic. We're going to ask that you use the mic. You raise your hand if you want to ask a question. Fun? We won't bite. <laughs> he might bite, but I don't. I'll <laughs> I'd like to add, uh, seeing those pictures, 
that uh, they were throwing concussion grenades into the crowd. And then one of them bounced on the ground and blew off that major part of that woman's uh, arm. Uh, these rubber bullets, supposedly, they're not harmful. They were tearing people's scalps off, big marks on her chest, you know, eight-inch marks on her chest. Fingers. Uh, fingers, uh, eyes. They had to put a horse down, too. One of my little favorite horses. They had to put him down because they shot him. I really want to hear some questions, guys. I know you got some questions out there. I have a question, actually. Uh, hi. Uh, thank you so much for, for your commentary. It was great to listen to. I teach history and political science here, and we talk about Standing Rock, but in the context of Wounded Knee in the late 19th century, and it seems like kind of history is repeating itself in a different way. Um, I was just wondering what your thoughts are on why this was given so little coverage. Is it that, because usually the media likes a human interest story, right? And is this not a great human interest story? People who are out there trying to protect our water. So is it that, that it's, you know, just more, e it's easier to show Kim Kardashian than it is to talk about something that's much more complicated? Um, I was just kind of wondering what your, th what your thoughts were on that. I'm absolutely sure that has to do with money in the banks and the behind-the-door stuff. They don't want anyone to see what's happening out there to the people. That's exactly what it is. So the corporation protecting right. another corporate, right. corporate media right. protecting right. another corporation. The people that own the radio st TV stations are people that are behind the doors that are not allowing that to be covered. That's the danger of what I'm saying. They're not allowing you to hear or see the real truth. People were contacting them, and they still didn't cover it. It was a concentrated ever not to cover it. The one thing they didn't count on was the power of this going global. Mm -hmm. And that's the one thing that really brought the issue out uh, globally. Other questions? Um, so is, is there a way that, um, uh, you know, that this whole situation end, ends up by the pipeline being built and the Native Americans uh, not having to suffer or having to, uh, you know, or the pipeline had not having to be in that same area? Well, as Don was alluding to, this, uh, the next pipeline is going to go through Minnesota and through Wisconsin. I believe it's going to go through every reservation except for one, uh, including mine in White Earth, Minnesota. Uh, so that's going to start a whole new thing in the spring. So we'll probably we'll be up there too, you know. Uh, this is ne it's a never-ending battle. you got to remember that. It's not just one battle. Never-ending battle. Hi, I have a question. So you all talked about the, the mistreatment you saw while out there. Is there a way to get over that, to forgive what's being done 10, 20 years down the line? Is there a way to let go all the pain and suffering that people have experienced while being out protesting? Well, she mentioned PDS. You know, and ordinarily you might think of that as a, as a war term, that uh, post-traumatic uh, syndrome. But anytime you've you're camped out for a long period of time and you're experiencing those combat situations every day with the treatment that you receive, you're going to get PDS and oh, that's a lifelong problem that those people are going to have uh, forever. You know, If you were really involved in it, you really experienced it and you really lived there, you're going to have that. I think you can get rid of the pain but I think you need to hang on to some of that feeling that you had so it doesn't happen again. That's what we're trying to prevent. We don't want this to happen anymore. But it was, I think they work really hard. We all work hard with prayer and unity and not being angry, but it's a long process. Um, so I don't have a question. I just have a comment that 
I can't agree more with what you guys say um, that the power of like unity in people, not even just for indigenous people, but I recently, maybe like a couple months ago, I was at one of the protests in Chicago, and I've never seen or like have uh, felt such power, unity in everyone. There was people from so many different backgrounds, and it doesn't only affect the people that are at Standing Rock. It's a whole nationwide thing, I believe, and it was, I mean, the way, it wasn't like, it wasn't violent. They were using songs, we were chanting. It was a different kind of move movement that I've never experienced, mm -hmm. and I think it's so important for people to, if you can't even go to a protest, uh, find a group like that. I saw it on Facebook, and that's when I went to the event, but they did a dance, like a very symbolic uh, coiling dance, where it would stop the pipe. Obviously, it didn't happen, but just the intention of that uh, protest was very powerful. As I jokingly said before, we're all as heavily armed with prayers and drums. I'm coming. Hi, I guess my question is that you mentioned earlier that you, I guess everyone on the panel mentioned how important it is for us to be involved. So my question is, what is the, from your perspective, what are you guys doing to get young people involved as far as jobs, scholarships, um, making more awareness of what opportunities that we can actually be involved in besides maybe protesting or on the front lines? What, how can we be involved more, I guess, on the corporate side, behind the scenes, actually making decisions? Well, in terms, I'm going to speak to part of that because I, I teach here, and one of the things I, I do, and because I'm teaching geography, it's, it's an easy component to add, but I bring in elements of the struggles about water into my classroom so that people are aware of it because that's a starting point. You have to be aware, and there are different levels of involvement, so you can be involved in terms of sharing the information with others. You can also make personal changes in your life, such as stop, uh, stop buying bottled water and use tap water, which in many cases is actually safer than some of the bottled water. Um, so you can make little changes like that. But in, uh, you know, I don't know for sure what's available in terms of things like jobs or scholarships. Uh, but what it is is, pe is part of it is becoming aware and beginning to share that awareness and then people have to decide for themselves what level of involvement they want to take and what direction they want to go with that. Well, you can do things like divest from things. Petroleum is in 6,000 things, things you put on your face. You know, my, even my grandkid, 12 years old, she checks all the labels. You know, you've got to be very careful. I found pins that are recyclable pins, ballpoint pins that I use. You know, try to, like she says, the water. Nestle's is in 600 brands. They're not my favorite people right now. They're in dog food. They're in all kind of stuff. You know, you can divest from those and invest in your green companies and look for jobs working with green companies. I think it's hard to get around the point that uh, if there was less of a demand for oil, there'd be less of a demand for pipelines, right? I mean, mm -hmm. there's a connection. Other questions? 
One thing I wanted to bring up, too, that I found out is, you know, guys were yelling at me. I went to Effingham. This, this guy was on the thing yelling on the horn, we need our oil, we need our oil. Well, you know what? Our prices are, are made by OPEC, and we have plenty of oil. If you start looking that up, you, all this protesting we did, protecting the water, had nothing to do with any prices, and it's never going to. It's made by Saudi Arabia and China, and in fact, most of this stuff that's going through this pipeline is not good consistency, and it's going overseas. It's not even gonna go to us. Uh, and that is one point. Um, the oil from this pipeline, where it's gonna end up in Patuka, uh, it, I wanna reiterate that, that some of that oil then can be sent down to Netherland, Texas to be either processed or exported through another existing pipeline, so it's not necessarily going to provide oil for us. Thank you very much. Uh, we're at the end of our time. I know a lot of you have to get to class. Thank you for attending this afternoon, and you're welcome to contact me or Jan or um, Joseph if you want any additional information or to get involved.